Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the squirt of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka their early work was a little new wave for my tastes, but by the time Mortician released Chainsaw Dismemberment, I felt like they really came into their own, creatively and commercially. <laughs> and uh, I'd like to hear those early uh, new wave demos. <laughs> Just imagine... Um... Imagine those guys with like really sort of fluffy Depeche Mode mohawks. Yeah, you wanna you wanna hear the mortician take on like ministries with sympathy. That would be pretty good. Yeah, I do hate New Wave, but I do like Ministry. <laughs> um uh yes, and I am the black metal guy, aka skate gore band called Ramputated. Ooh. That's solid. I mean, that's probably, like, a mincecore band out in California that's done, like, a 7-inch with Couple Skate or Wharf Lurch or something like that. But... Let's see. Ramputated Band Camp. I believe there was a hardcore band called Violent Ramp. Violent Ramp? Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't really mean yep. it. Like, it. Like, a skate ramp that is aggressive in and of yes. itself? Yes. Yes. Huh, it's a okay. good band name because it's kind of like Japanese English. Yeah, you got to think about it for a second. Yeah, but, yeah. But if Ramputated hasn't been taken, I would say register it now. Yeah, I should Ooh. do it now and then charge whichever band wants to use it. I was it. about to say, it's sort of like sort of like domain squatting. Yeah, Can you band yeah. camp band name squat? Jesus. Well, um, you, you do the rest of the intros. I've got to get on. <laughs> You got a retirement plan to set up. I was just thinking, oh man, how many great band names do I have? Oh man, I just got to start registering all yeah, of yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, we got a, we've got a, we got an interesting show today. We I, do. Yeah. Yes. Yes, everybody. We are covering the album. All right. You can stop asking me about it. We are going to cover it. But first. First, let's cover something else that's uh, uh, related to the show a little bit more closely. So, uh, Thos Ayala, whose first record we covered last year, uh, which was titled Abnegation Psalms, uh, the dude behind that, uh, Ghoul, a.k.a. Derek, uh, from Father Befouled, uh, hit me up on Facebook talking about the new record that just came out. Uh, he actually he gave me a heads up uh, a couple months ago that it was going to be released, and so I've just been hanging out waiting for the release date. So the sophomore record is out called uh, Sempiternal Mabocracies. Uh, like the l- no last one wasn't. Uh, this one's out on Voidhanger. Um, was Abnegation out on I Voidhanger? Um, Abnegation was out on uh, Sunshine Ward. Sunshine Ward. Yeah. yeah. So now now he's with I Voidhanger. Um, with the new record uh, just came out about a week ago. Um, so I listened to this one. You had checked out like the preview track that was up a while back, and I know that you weren't really a fan. Really quick. Yeah, very quick. But not not, not much. Okay. So I, I got to say, this, is, um, this was kind of a surprise. I didn't really know what to expect from this, but I ended up really, really liking this record. And I thought that it was actually a really big step up from Abnegation Psalms. Uh, for those who don't remember, we covered it last year. Fasaella on that record did kind of um, kind of the arrogant thrash thing with a big streak of kind of Swedish melodic black death in there, as well as this little hint of I, I don't know, kind of bluesy southern stuff going on in some yeah. of the lead guitar riffing. The the way I remember it, if honestly I remember the two extremes 
it may have come out as kind of arrogant thrash sounding, but like the way I remember it is kind of like, um, uh, Rian Chaos, if it had had the big Swedish Black Death riffs that everyone wanted it to have when it came out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So, so basically, I, I thought it was a solid record. It wasn't really my thing. Uh, I didn't go back to it, but I thought it, it was an interesting starting point. Now with this new one, Sempaternal Mobocracies, I think I'm going to go back to this one a few times. Um, so as far as like major differences go, a lot of the... Um, a lot of the thrashiness has been kind of pared down on this. Uh, in the the most melodic aspects have been pushed way, way up front. The And in addition, uh, the, the kind of bluesy southern stuff is still there, but now it's incorporated with a very sort of U.S. power metal style that is kind of folded into the texture of this music. It, it seems to be continuing a theme that we've been seeing over the past year or so, which is just guys from the extreme metal scene rediscovering old power and traditional heavy metal. Uh, Thossiella doesn't go quite as far down that rabbit hole as <clears> something <throat> like um, uh, the, the fucking record uh, Auspicious Atavism. Yeah, but yeah, Anahata. Yeah, yeah Anahata, yeah. It's, it's all A's. I always forget which is which. Um, but, I mean, it's still definitely a sort of melodic Swedish Black Death record. But it's it's hard to deny just how important the kind of scrappy U.S. power metal and trad metal energy is. Um, so let's uh, listen to In Vain the Ocean's Black, which is the second full track. And we're just going to play it directly from the beginning. And... Uh, what I like so much about this record is this like sense of excitement that it has. It's it's like somebody eagerly pulling you by the hand through a crowd, but the person pulling you is just like riff after riff after riff. It's so excited to show you what's up next. Um, so let's just listen to this one for a couple minutes from the beginning, and I think you'll get immediately what I'm talking about there.
moment that song started, we just started cackling. <laughs> Especially when it like you you do like the fast riffing very briefly, and then you drop to the halftime. Like oh, oh yeah, it's like it's like Guns and Roses shit going on. Yeah, yeah, it's already at the big like it's it's ten seconds in, and we're already at the big like raise a lighter sing along chorus. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it, I, the the sheer excess of this record somehow never failed to surprise me. They, like, there's so many, like, eyebrow-raising moments across this whole thing, just like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I would say it's impossible to, like, I can't really dislike this. I'm not, like, it's just a bunch of, like, really well-executed, fun, kind of epic-sounding riffs, right? Mm-hmm. It's, um... uh. That last riff was pretty cool. That was very weirdly harmonized. Um, yeah, you get the, yeah, it's got the weird harmony, but the core of it is like almost like a Stevie Ray Vaughan kind of thing. So you've got that little bit exactly, of like southern yeah. stuff tucked away. Um, yeah, I, very. Oh, go ahead. Go. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Very sort of horror vacuum. Everything is filled in. Um, it uh, the cover art is great. Um, and although it's made to be, you know, kind of horror-y and Lovecraft-y, I can definitely see how the music, uh, the music is like sort of, you know, the cover is filled, it's this awesome kind of surrealist multiple perspective kind of Escher maze thing that's traversed by tentacles and connective tissue and strange spiders and, you know, it's kind of swirling down from you. And it's, you, you can see how the album is kind of just inviting you to, like, 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 snowboard down it. Yeah. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah. Um, no, the, no, this is, I mean, you landed on something which is like, yeah, it's kind of, it's hard to dislike this. Because my thing when I heard the first record was sort of like, this is, this is neat. And it's also, like, kind of tongue-in-cheek. The whole thing. Um, and I think this is, too. I think he's really embracing sort of the inherent goofiness of this. And I guess for this guy, Derek, Thos Ayala can just be a place where he can just do whatever he wants. You know, you don't have to really worry about internal consistency. It's like, let's just do the coolest thing at every mm-hmm. moment. You know, let's just do the coolest shreddingest thing on guitar that we can do that's still almost like a song <laughs> yeah i it's um i i think that's honestly probably good in terms of figuring out what is specific about this band because uh i think on the last one it sounded halfway it was like very serious riffs like dawn riffs kind of um uh kind of scowling uh scowling neoclassical riffs that were then like thrown alongside just like danzig stuff you know Swaggering and, and, blues riffs and chug parts. Big and, neoclassical skate punk riffs and shit. <laughs> exactly. And so, like, um, I think here here there's still, you know, skill and, uh, you know, skill and subtlety in a lot of the main blasted corded riffs. You can mm-hmm. still hear the Dawn influence. Um, and, you know, more Sacramentum here, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, like... You know, you just he had to choose whether he wanted to have a serious band or like a kind of fun band, and he was just like, "I'm gonna go for the the things that really set this up." Yeah, you know, the skill at writing the Swedish Black Death band 
riffs did set this project apart but he's like i'm gonna go for the other thing i just want to make a like fun crazy band well actually like across this record there's tons of great like traditional swedish black death riffs um they're but now they're more used as connective tissue between these these kind of huge um very sort of rock oriented moments um, which I think is really interesting. And, I mean, in a way, this almost hews even closer to that idea of, oh, what if re and chaos, but still like an actual dissection record. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Going for the re and chaos thing is just like the fun move. Definitely. Um, it's, um, it, you know, it's also like, what if re and chaos, but more exciting. I mean, I think the limitation of that record for a lot of people was that it's kind of plotting. Moments, yeah. The moments that were just like plotting groove metal or that sounded like the black album. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Whereas the highlights of re and chaos are like just awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, let me get to my other sample real quick off mm-hmm. a song called bloodlust Inamorata," And uh, here we're going to get really into the sort of power metal stuff. Um, and I think those are some of the best moments on the record is where he gets really into this sort of extreme power metal territory. And honestly, just listening to this little section of this song, right from the middle of it, um, you can imagine this almost being paradigmatic for a, a new articulation of what you know pop extreme metal could be. So, you know, I've told the joke plenty on the show and so have plenty of other people that, you know, Melodeth is just, Melodeth is just power metal. Like, Gothenburg is just power metal with growls. Um, which, yeah, I mean, which is, like, true to a degree. It's also a reduction. But what if a band were to take that conceit really seriously and just lean into it? Um, so let's check out this section and let's just imagine what if we had bands that just did this.
So you can probably imagine, like, just a band that's just that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's you've got a... I, I really want to point out, like, the blast riffs in that section are really kind of remarkable in the way they're designed. Like, if you're just looking at it from, like, the kind of... Uh, the texture choices, you know, the kind of dyadic textures, then you've got something very, like, Franco-Finnish. But then the bass notes that he's choosing are just, like, classic sort of uh, major key power metal chord structure things. Um, so he's, he's found this, like, this wonderful through line between these different ideas. And then, of course, you know, we kick into the part where you say, I just like it because it sounds like Offspring, and yes. Yeah, that you just like it because it sounds like Offspring, yeah. Yeah, which is funny because, like, actually, as I've been listening to more and more punk and fits and starts, I'm like, oh, and I like all of this punk stuff because it kind of sounds like Iron Maiden, and Iron Maiden also sounds like all this even earlier punk stuff. So this unbroken thread of um, guitar ideas that kind of goes through both genres in some way. Um and uh, I, I really like the, the kind of, like, gruff, clean vocal stuff that he's doing across this. I wish it wasn't quite so far in the background. It's like, dude, it's, it sounds good. Like, push it up. Yeah, front. honestly, I barely <laughs> process the vocals. Yeah, yeah. He's doing a lot. He doesn't do a lot of just, like, the, the, the gruff, clean stuff on its own. He's usually got a layer of, you know, screeches behind it. But it's like, dude, there's I swear, I, I, that hit me like an instrumental passage. I yeah, mean, just yeah. because the music is so dizzying. Like, <laughs> it's there a, were vocals. It's very bombastic. <laughs> so. But no, yeah, it's um, I I don't it's and really the whole record is littered with moments like the ones that I've shared here. Uh, basically, every song has one huge pivotal passage of just like fucking dizzying guitar pyrotechnics. If you're a metal guitarist and you do melodic stuff at all, you should listen to this and study it because some of the guitar shit going on is fucking crazy. And he's got a great way of reincorporating the lessons of Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix and just kind of, and Thin Lizzy and all just like classic, you know, guitar focused rock artists, um, since the, uh, since the seventies, basically. Um, there's just always something new and exciting to hear uh, on every new track of this. And at the end of it, I was just like, fuck yeah, this is what I wanted from this project all along. Hey all, this is Brandon from Cromley, and you're listening to Terminus. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. And I'm, uh, well, yeah, I was about to say you're probably looking at this video now if you're on YouTube, but you're probably not. You're probably in another tab doing something unrelated while you listen to it. But if you will go back to the tab where you're playing Terminus right now, your eyes do not deceive you. You are, in fact, about to listen to a review of the newest Grand Belial's Key record, Kohanic Charmers, 17 years in the making. Uh, released on the Welton Fiend imprint, which I think is basically just kind of like an individual imprint for GBK and Argos Lent and certain absurd stuff. I'm pretty sure it's like World Terror Committee that basically runs it, but, you know, it's whatever. It's probably on hold, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, obviously uh, this is something I'm super excited to talk about. Um, I've definitely gushed about Grand Belial's Key several times. Oh, wait, the... it looks like Welton Fiend is owned by G Jalal. Galal. Oh, oh, he handles it? Is it, oh. is it Jalal or Galal? I thought it was Galal, but I'm Galano. It's old, yeah. like old Sumerian stuff, who knows. Um, I, I, don't speak, uh, I don't speak cuneiform, 
So, yeah, 17 years since Kosherat. Uh, this is one of those records that I considered uh, sort of a Duke Nukem Forever thing. It was like it was always in the works. I never expected it to actually happen. But then basically out of nowhere, the release date gets announced. It's not even published digitally. It's just on CD. It took a while for those CDs to trickle out, but now they have gotten online, and here we are. Uh, you know... Obviously, I've talked about GBK on the show many times before. I'm a huge fan. Um, Kosherat in particular is probably like a top 20 black metal record of all time for me. Um, and here we are, 17 years later, it actually happened. Uh, and I guess the question in everyone's mind is going to be, does it live up to the hype? You know, does this live up to the 17-year gap? And I can't give a clean answer to that, because this isn't exactly what I expected from it, but it's phenomenally good to me. Uh, I well, think that... Wouldn't, wouldn't that be living up to the hype? I, I think that... Well, that's an interesting discussion, because I think this record does, is... Does it deserve to be ranked alongside their other records? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, 100%. Because you could, you could do a competent record much later in your career that would sound like a comeback album. But this, I take it, is not, you know, it'd be like a a good sort of summing up of your previous work or something. But this, I take it, is more than a comeback album. Yeah, no, this feels, um, it's more than a comeback album. I mean, I guess one of the biggest compliments I can give it is that it feels contiguous with the rest of the discography. Um, there's definitely points where you can tell there's more modern influences, that these guys didn't stop listening to black metal for 17 years. And there's incorporation of some elements that sound like almost surprisingly familiar, given the current landscape of black metal. But they've successfully fused those modern elements with the core of GBK's own personality, which is just so specific to this band. Um... And I, I don't think it's I don't think it's gonna replace Kosherat as my favorite record, but I'd say is it as good as Judy Obese Assassination? Yeah. I'd say it's it's right in the middle of their discography and for a band that's been offline for so long, I don't know what more I could ask for. Um, but I wanna talk to you about it because surprisingly you weren't like a huge GBK guy. I thought that you listened to them a lot, but recently I learned it's it's just been a little bit over the years. Um, yeah, you just, just recently listened to Kosherat for the first time with me suggesting it just to kind of prep for this. Yeah, I gave it a couple of plays um, a few days ago. Um, and I, I liked Kosherat a lot. I definitely like Kosherat better than this. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's um, But in general, I would say, I think my impression so far, I'm going to have to listen to the older stuff now, too. Um, I think you'd really like the earliest stuff. I like, think I'd like the first album best. Yeah, I, 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 mocking the philanthropist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that and the uh, witness, the witnessing the regicide EP, <laughs> like because that's like, um, it, it's almost like I want to describe it's kind of like that band you really like, Cauldron Black Ram. It's just really yeah. scrappy, really gnarly shit. Oh yeah, no, this is totally related to that. I mean, there's this set of. Um, that's the weird thing. There's the set of rhythms that appear primarily first on GBK, uh, 
GBK, Argos, Lant, Cauldron, Black Ram, Stargazer. Mm-hmm. Right. He's kind and, of like plotting, like knuckle dragging. Yes, Elders. and Cauldron Black Ram is the is the alias of Stargazer in the same way that Argos Lent is kind of the other band of GBK. GBK. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yes, these knuckle, this sort of like three against four thing that sounds like a kind of, um, you know, a, a, a sea shanty or uh, a, um, you know, uh, something soldiers would play at break in the Napoleonic Wars, mm-hmm. right? This kind of rhythm. Um, but, um, so yeah, this set of swaggering rhythms. And I, I listened to a bit of... Uh, a bit of mocking the philanthropist the other day, and I was like, "Oh, this sounds good. This sounds like pagan motorhead riffs." Yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, um, I, I think in terms of this later stuff, I would say that GBK is for me in black metal kind of what Immolation is for you in death metal. Mm, okay. It's it's something that um, I kind of I respect it from a distance. <laughs> I think I'll probably listen, just in the same way that you've eventually gone back to Immolation, I'll probably listen to this band more. Certainly now I want to go back and listen to the early stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's possible I'll end up getting a lot more out of this album over time. I mean, the number one thing is that this is uh, really sort of grower, not shower music. It's sophisticated yes. songwriting. As you pointed out to me before, you're like, GBK really is a songs band. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, if you listen to it for... There's a way that GBK has become associated with, quote-unquote, the riffs. Yeah. Right? Um, in Which is really referring to a specific type of GBK riff that shows up way more on our Gosland albums. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably shows up a lot more on Kosherat compared to the rest yes. of the discography. Yeah, these kind of, um, uh, y- you know, florid, baroque uh, sort of high octane riffs with these dense harmonizations right Mm -hmm. um uh the default riffing on here is somewhat different right um yes and uh you know yeah so like i guess my take on it is um it yeah so it doesn't have those kinds of riffs that one might expect coming into it not initially Right, and as you listen to the record, right, you get into it more. You hear more of those kinds of riffs, and you hear all sorts of interesting development in the songs. You hear uh, dialogue of you hear very simple riffs, sort of dialoguing with each other. You hear subtlety in the playing, cool vocal performance, all that, right? Um, but but in terms of the overall vibe not being my thing, I, I think I'd say like. Um, it would hit better for me if I lived somewhere warmer and owned a car. <laughs> I saw that in the notes. I thought that was kind of funny. So I thought it through, right? So, like, it, and if I ever do either of these things, right, or both, right, I might end up listening to it more. It's like, because the thing that is, you know, uh, different from my taste is that the overall rhythmic feel in terms of the rhythms and the tempos hang out in this kind of pocket groove stuff that's sort of laid back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you've emphasized how this is a very rockish band, right? Sort of the root of the modern outlaw rock sound, right? I'd say one of the important ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's, it's very rockish, but it's really rockish. It sort of shuffles in this kind of rock and loose rock and roll way. And, um, the mood is kind of dark Americana, but with a bit of a Latin feel 
Yeah, there's a little but, bit of that, and then of course there's all the uh, the Phrygian stuff in the uh, kind of Eastern style. Yeah, I don't know if it's deliberately like sounds, you know, Southwest. I think it might be more. This guy clearly listens to a lot of like flamenco and probably like Spanish Baroque guitar music, and you know. If you oh. make that more rock and roll, it G- sounds kind of southwesty. Galal did uh, infamously live in Argentina for a couple years to be a soccer hooligan. There we go. All right. <laughs> so, um, and and he brought he, he sort of he brought back their their guitar techniques um, exactly. But um, uh, he, he, <laughs> um, so you know. We've talked about a certain kind of riff that I don't like very much that you like that we call Secret Agent Man. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> the default, like, sort of first few riffs on most of these songs, the sort of um, uh, the verse riffing where under the initial vocals, right, is often kind of Secret Agent Man. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, um, and, you know, it would make, it has this kind of smooth, um, you know, laid back, smooth vibe, and I think it really is good for evil cruising. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I. And if if I were cruising around being evil, I think I would listen to this more. I I agree. You know, I I agree on all those points really because I I think you're correct. I I think of GBK as like I mean obviously they're like a crucial USBM band, but in a sense they're kind of just the world's most evil rock band. Mm-hmm. Like and mm-hmm. rock in the sense of like rock and roll, like a lot of these kind of rhythms and even certain kind of chording ideas reach back to the '60s and '70s. It's it's mm-hmm. really fascinating how this music is constructed, um, and the way these songs are structured are m- way more song-like, you know, in you know with a capital S than most black metal tracks are. Um, you know, these are songs built out of motivic motivic ideas melodically built out of bridges built out of big kind of anthemic choruses um so the aggregate effect is just something really different from the rest of black metal which is one of the things that's made them so distinct over the years um now in terms of the kind of respectful distance thing this is a really interesting tact they've taken on this record which is that it doesn't really begin in a way that catches your ear. Like, the uh, the opening track, Prayer Shawl of the Firstborn Donkey, is like, it feels like it's supposed to come from the middle of the record, doesn't it? That's that's the most secret agent, man. Right? You know, yeah. Yeah, it, be- it begins, the album begins in a very sort of flat, horizontal way, which mm-hmm. I think is interesting. And the first couple tracks really are like that. Um... It, it, it takes a little bit for this record to gather steam, but I think that was deliberate. Um, there's there's some very flashy, showy parts on this record, but not as many as you might think from Coming After Kosherat, where like every track has a big moment. Here there's tracks that are... Well, Sorry, go ahead. Well, presumably, maybe it's a kind of thing where you're sort of counting on... Um, if, if you're a huge fan of the band, right, the bread-and-butter riffing style is going to be uh, essential to your liking it. Ooh, huge possum just went by my w- window. That's a good omen. Um, but uh, the br- uh, bread-and-butter real American riffing's... animal. There you go. Yeah, real, yeah. <laughs> you're going to be there for the basic riffing style, right? Yes. So if you're a GBK fan, like, uh, you just, you hear that more stripped down, um, 
riffing and it's probably just like great and you can roll with a couple tracks of those before they start pulling out the big guns Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Uh, and I think also it was partly to I don't know it's almost like a counterintuitive thing for like a big comeback record it's like Mm -hmm. yeah it's like oh what should we we should start off with something explosive we should start off with one of the huge tracks no let's let's go with like one of the plainest tracks on the album to open this up and be like we're, we're still here we're pretending that the 17 years didn't happen we're continuing the course um I think it's really cool. You know, maybe if I didn't have such a relationship with the band, that wouldn't be as significant to me, but, yeah. No, I think that makes sense. And it's also a, it's some kind of statement, right? It's if you thought GBK was, was, quote, the riffs band that's going to deliver all the massive Argos Lentian hook riffs, right? It's not. If anything, like... I think I would, you would usually expect a band, a guy's death metal band to be the more sort of technical and sophisticated and the black metal band to be more sort of uh, loose and shoot from the hip Uh and kind of raw. This is a little bit different. Certainly Argoslet is technically demanding music, right? And has elaborate riffs, but gbk at this at least at this point in the discography they seem to be gbk is really subtle this is a very subtle album and it's un, and it makes sense that it would start in an understated way yeah so speaking of which let's uh you've got one off the second track that kind of surprised me so. yeah let's start from there well what i wanted to capture is a bit of the stuff that i can't get into so much followed by um followed by the stuff where it starts uh landing for me more Okay. So, so you know, at the, at the beginning of Serpent, the, the sample from uh, Serpent Bibliomancy, you'll hear riffs that are kind of like the riffs on Prayer Shawl, the first Born Donkey, mm-hmm. uh, on the first track. So this kind of um, uh, cruise, you know, evil cruising riffs, and then it will escalate a bit. <laughs>
there's the really sophisticated stuff. Yeah, that that riff in particular. I was trying to count it out when I thought to actually count it out. It's something like um, it's like six bars of four four and then a three four at the end. It, it's it's deceptively simple, but a lot of the like the uh, the chords are crossing the bars. So it's yeah, it's interesting. It's that is a really cool riff. Um, and it's not just that riff. It's the um. So you hear you hear them ramp up through several several levels of escalation, all of which have this kind of um rock and roll vibe, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. And um. And then, you know, um, and that's a hybrid riff. The first part of that riff, right, is played in this kind of um, severe Black Death lead kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, the inflections there sound, you can really hear this guy actually listens to classical music. And yeah. more specifically, I think, like Baroque music. Uh, and... Clearly, I mean, GBK fans will know this because of the stuff on Kosher at, but like, can like literally play classical guitar virtuosically. Um, yes, in yeah. a way that many metal guitarists, even quite really good ones, who play stuff that has a classical inflection, just don't. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I was kind of kind of prepping for listening to this album. I was I was actually watching some uh, kind of guitar covers of old GBK songs mm-hmm. on YouTube. Um, and it's really interesting to watch um, to watch people play these songs on guitar because it you're not the way you play these songs is not like you know standard black metal playing it's a little bit death metal but it really is much more rock and roll it's it's tons of slides and bends it's not really fixated on even the trem is kind of slow it's all about sort of like almost swing time elegant stuff it's it's very unusual compared to basically anything else in extreme metal yeah it's like on this on on this record and i think on kosherad as well it's like all the familiar elements to me from black metal are there but configured in a way that like i i i could not have imagined right you know it Mm -hmm. exists It, once once you hear it, you're like, oh, clearly this is part of the possibility matrix, right? Clearly this is something you can do with black metal. But, like, you can see why this is one of the classic bands, right? This yeah. is very unique approach. And, you know, you can hear all the familiar elements, but the thing that's structuring it, this rock and roll sensibility, is basically outside of the... outside of black metal and completely unique. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is secretly, like, despite the kind of um, punkish pedigree of this music, this is hyper long hair. All the okay, way yeah, so, th- okay, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was, I'd written in the notes, so we should, we should go there. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting thing, it's like, a completely unique thing about it is, although many individual riffs, including the first ones in, you know, every riff at the beginning of Serpent Bibliomancy, you could say that's a punky riff, mm-hmm. right? You could say those are death rock riffs, or kind of. But um, there's tons of punky stuff throughout it, but the organizing sensibility is... Uh, the All the principles for songwriting are really long hair. And like it's like not just rock, there's like prog rock as mm-hmm. the way it's organized. You get this... Um, uh, 
And your next sample points to that, right? You've got some complex structure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just as an adjunct, we've brought it up a few times on the show. I really think the unifying feature is like uh, Thin Lizzy again. You know, that because that, that's a, a band that works at such a perfect cross-section of sort of like mm-hmm. burly rock and roll, sort of proto-metal, definitely a prog streak, and just mm-hmm. guitar virtuosity as a centerpiece of the band. I, I see their tendrils reaching into so many things as I get older. Um, I should listen to more of that because I obviously I love Emerald, right? Oh, yeah. But there's, I mean, it's, it's all know, awesome, stuff. you know. Um, yeah. So so yeah, let's talk about kind of complex rock structuring. Uh, so let's go to the next track, uh, "Crud Drips from the Shofar," which I think is quickly becoming like one of the big songs off this record, for obvious yeah, reasons. That's one of the bangers. Yeah, it's it's actually the longest song on the record too. Um, so GBK does a lot of songs that are formatted kind of like suites uh, that will have like two very distinct halves. Uh, almost like too many songs bolted together. And here you've got kind of a take on that. So we're going to be starting a little bit into the track um, that opens with like kind of a simple A-B-A-B variation with the riffs. Uh, and two riffs that are like definitively motivically linked, like linked in just rock and roll chord structure. And then we're going to have a CD uh, sequence as sort of a bridge. And then it gets into an extended clean guitar passage, and that's where we're going to end. But what's really interesting is, okay, A, B, A, B, C, D, extended instrumental section, break for this elaborate clean guitar part. And what does it come back on? It comes back on variations of the bridge riffs. It doesn't go back to um, the A, B, A, B for like the big triumphant closer. It doesn't uh, gin up kind of like new special riffs, but uh, instead... You know, it elaborates on these sort of uh, liminal phrases from the middle of the song. But let's just listen to how all these things lay out, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. Yeah. 
So, yeah, we were talking about it while I was playing fascinating structural stuff across this song. One, this is, in a sense, a sort of one-riff song. Like, all of the riffs are inherently motivically related to the central uh, chord structure that, that lies underneath the whole thing. But there's all these little subtleties thrown in to, to make it more mysterious and more organic and more like kind of a rock and roll song. Um, like I pointed out, before you get into the clean guitar passage where it does that C-D-C pattern, goes back into C with the vocals, but just for a couple bars, it cuts early. You know, there, there's something very specialized about the way that operates. Um, certain just little shifts in the harmonic textures of those A and B riffs. Just fascinating, really guitar player music subtleties you don't typically hear in extreme metal. Yeah, and that CD sequence at the end is uh, kind of the... That, that's like the first really big riff moment on the album. Oh, yeah, like that big uh, that big uh, pinch harmonic riff, right? <laughs> yeah, well, certainly that. Yeah. Yeah, and there is one of the places where you get one of the things that's become a signature kind of GBA, GBK Argos Lent rhythm, rhythmic figure. This sort of um, uh, a triple time that feels like it's holding itself back. Yeah, it's, that, it's like, that sort of waltz time thing. In, yeah, heavy waltz, mm -hmm. heavy end weighted waltz. Like you know, end of every three is is emphasized. Um, mm -hmm. uh, like House of Atreus uses that a lot. Um, but there, um, uh, but yeah, so. Yeah, the pinch harmonics at the end, man, are really cool. And that's a good example of, um, uh, well, you know, using the harmonic as part of the riff. And there's some of the more kind of cutting death metal tonality in there. Yeah, and I, I think that's an important thing across this record, across GBK. And I've actually been talking in the Discord lately to some guys kind of about, like, Paul Letney stuff and early USBM mm -hmm. in general. And we've we talked about it. We've had a few conversations about it, and I think we're coming to the conclusion that what makes like real USBM uh, kind of defined in its own right, apart from the bands that are just trying to imitate the Europeans, is that the death metal was never lost entirely mm -hmm. from the early US black metal bands. And I think even for GBK, there is still that death metal throughout everything. It's very subtle, but I think it's essential to the band's sound mm -hmm. yeah so you think that happens on the earlier gbk too because i hear it here much more than on um Kosherat. i think it's more distinct here i, I like I there are a lot of things here that i'd be like oh that's kind of a death metal riff you could say that's a black death riff or whatever but they're really sort of sinister death metal single string uh you know, death metal trem leads throughout this. I guess I've always thought of it as almost more of a mood thing, you know, or mm -hmm. just like the the way the guitar is played, you know, rather well, well, than the, the riffs themselves. <laughs> better musicianship. <laughs> <laughs> better musicianship, um, just digging in on the chords a lot more, playing around with rhythmic configurations that you wouldn't typically hear in black metal, but you would hear in death metal or rock music. Mm -hmm. That seems right. I don't know the Ledney stuff well at all, but that's, like, I think the next thing I need to go back to, right? You keep telling me that I'd really like Have a Hey. Um, but, um, <laughs> You'd like it all, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that has more rhythmic play in it than the, the Norse stuff. 
or the on certain stuff yeah definitely mm-hmm. yeah. it's um although some of it's very just like that's kind of what he's like classically known for but especially on like later mm-hmm. profanatica stuff or um mm-hmm. I, or if you listen to oh, i don't know um there's there's a lot of odd guitar rhythm stuff going on on a lot of that shit mm-hmm. but it's just super primitive production so you can't hear a lot of it but a lot of that stuff is not straight trem you know, a, a lot of it has mm-hmm. weird little intricate, almost like thrash-derived rhythms that are just so flattened out from high gain and bad production. Well, I can yeah. hear instantly how the guitar and all that resembles death metal, too, because it has a kind of free atonality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. The, but, the um, real harsh chromatic shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lost art. Um, <laughs> uh, so... Um, you, you, you good on that, or you got anything more? Yeah, I was segueing, man. Death metal. All, all right. Speaking of death metal, <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess you know the funny thing is that um, you know, despite the fact that this has a lot of punky stuff on it, um, the parts I like are is are some of the most long hair, not necessarily the most proggy, but when they go full like metal long hair, right? Um, and parts where. Uh, Galal's classical chops come to the fore in the riffing itself rather than the say rather than say in the interludes or acoustic breaks right mm-hmm. um uh so here you get that on the door is marked with sheep's blood There's a death metal riff at the end, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say, in a sense, all of those are, like, almost death metal riffs. 
Well, the, 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 the more textured answering stuff is some of the stuff, I probably like it because it sounds the closest to like the Swedish Black Death stuff uh-huh. that I like. You know? Um, but, um, but yeah, definitely not a straight black metal riff. It's too sophisticated. And you were saying something that really applies to that sort of the um, to, to the, the corded trem riffing on the second part of that which is uh, something about the discontinuous shapes in the riffs. Yeah, I, I was saying one thing that I really appreciate about GBK riffs is that um, they never, like, neatly loop in on themselves. I mean, if you if you listen, for instance, if you're listening to, like, Franco-Finnish black metal these days, all those riffs are meant to repeat endlessly. Like, they're meant for you to forget where they begin and end. GBK riffs have definite beginnings and endings they tell a story in a single repetition um which make they're they're very linear melodic figures there's no apart from you know just kind of like um you know connective tissue riffs they never loop into themselves neatly uh and i think that's a little bit of a lost art uh, with a lot of extreme metal bands you know as we've pursued further and further ways to make the music listenable and to make it approachable and to make it superficially pleasing to the ear we've forgotten the power of something profoundly you know refusing to just continue itself a a single statement with a period i guess yeah well so a, a good example of that would be in the more in so you get that that first descending phrase and that just ends and the rest of the riff is a different riff that answers it it just jumps from that chord at the bottom up to a kind of lead thing that's oscillating with a new chord figure um uh it it's like um there's discontinuity built into the riff itself, and we're and you know that is that greater emphasis on distinct parts being juxtaposed with one another, uh, mm-hmm. rather than a sort of continuous streaming flow or process. Is that this is a very death metal as opposed to black metal? Yeah, and I, I think it goes with um, the way GBK just builds songs. You know, because GBK songs. Mm-hmm are distinct stories unto themselves. They are always about a thing in particular. As you can tell, I mean, just by looking at the lyrics for any of the previous records, um, they're very distinct figures. They're almost sort of stage play-like in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely heard that. There's almost a rock opera thing to this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was, I was talking to the guys on the Discord the other day. It's like, Koshra, it's my favorite one because it's where they just they just make fucking tiny rock operas the whole time. Well, the whole record is a rock opera. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's basically it's more like a Rush album than a fucking black metal album. Really. Yeah, I, th- I think that is true, and that's part of the reason why it's just never gonna be my favorite thing. But uh, there's the way the it it's all it doesn't have um, any of the things that really turn me off about conspicuously proggy stuff. Yeah, I, I think the um, it's very disciplined music. Yeah, I think I, I think the most highbrow stuff uh, across the discography and especially on this record is practiced with a really admirable restraint. Yeah, and the the, the acoustic breaks are not like filler; they are uh, really worth listening to. I mean, the clearest example of that is this sort of. Uh, 
sort of classical guitar solo at the end of Kosherat or towards the back end of that record. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then they just like go into like basically a noise core section at the end. <laughs> um, and like that has to be there. And it's it's really cool and it's a singular event. Yeah, yeah, it's a, um, it's a great way to just kind of collapse the album into itself. Yeah, that's it's not it's not noodling or self-indulgent. Yeah. Um well, uh, well, speaking of uh, the kind of theatrical element uh, of this mm-hmm. band and this record in particular, so uh, I was curious as to what it was going to be like to listen to JBK with Unhold on vocals. Um, he's been with the band since 2009, um, but obviously this is the first you know record they've really put out since he came in. And um, it, a lot of people had questions. It's like, is he going to be able to live up to, um, you know, Black Lord or uh, Grimnir? And I think that he really does. I really like his vocal performance on this record. Uh, because GBK's vocalists always understood that this music required more than regular black metal vocals. They needed a theatrical performance. And in this case, Unhold has taken that, that philosophy... But he's not attempting to sound like one of the other vocalists. He's applying that to his own style, and I think he performs wonderfully doing that. And this track we're about to listen to, Two Forks and a Muttering Diviner, um, has some of the best examples of that. And then in the background, you know, after we've heard some of the more theatrical stuff that he does, let's pay attention to the riffing here, because here's where we get some instances where oh, these guys are listening to modern black metal and folding it into the GBK sound. Yeah. 
so yeah first on hold the the insane like always always sample the evil laugh it's a rule on the show it's like one of our fundamental principles um then the sort of like pained moaning chanting he's doing it's it's this wonderful you know that i'm just such a fucking sucker for a black metal vocalist that's going beyond it is really trying to communicate something with the voice apart from just being evil yeah, anything that hits on the sort of Attila model of vocals. 100%. I was trying to avoid saying the name, but yes, you're exactly right. The yeah, Attila model. podcasts yeah. are about repeating yourself all the time. <laughs> but yeah, the Attila model. It's like, if we're going to do this stuff that's like neo-operatic music, why should the vocals not be like that as well? But beyond that, so Unhold's performance across this record is awesome. But listen to the riffs underneath. Those first couple riffs, you know, yeah. where all that cool vocal stuff was happening... Aren't those just like a hop, skip, and a jump away from like Sargeist or McGlaw riffs? Hmm. All right, so I've thought about that because I saw it in the notes. Um, I somehow get the sense that these guys, that Migla exists in a different universe to these guys. Like, it's. I think it's possible uh, Galal has never listened to Migla. Um, but the Sargeist thing makes kind of makes sense. Like... Maybe not direct Sargeist influence, but certainly part of the same. Maybe. I mean, maybe. Like, you know, Horna's last record came out on WTC, right? Yeah. So th- th- those are part of the same. Sargeist is part of this universe. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess. Also, for... just canonical things, right? You know, if Senor Voland and Kristallnacht are at the foundation of that particular guitar style. Then you know, didn't didn't GBK do a split with Senor Valand or something? Uh, I uh, no, they've they've done stuff with Absurd, and mm-hmm. they've done they've done stuff with some weird French guys before. So, um, uh, oh, Chemin de, Chemin de Aine, who yeah, yeah. did a split with uh, Senor Valand. Oh, there okay, yeah, yeah. So so th- they're probably there's a good chance this guy just has listened a lot to all the same shit that inspired the Finnish dudes. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. But but also, it's just like, um, one, I think it's impressive how easily they weave it in and how you have to kind of be paying close attention to even realize that it sounds <laughs> That's different. True. That's true, yeah. And two, part of it that's interesting to me, I, I guess it's kind of an academic question, but it's like, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't they listen to modern stuff? Like, why would this be necessarily in a different universe? Like... They were they weren't just listening to I mean Galal wasn't only listening to you know fucking bachata music over the past seventeen years right <laughs> he, was, he was he was doing something there so it's like why why wouldn't they be interested in what's going on in black metal and folding in some of those techniques oh yeah I just meant Migla specifically like oh yeah um, well that's I mean that's kind of a stand-in for a whole array of modern black metal guitar yeah, ideas I hear what you mean that it is well it's certainly regardless of where the influences are coming from it's certainly the style of guitar that is big now Mm -hmm. right and it shows an awareness of uh where the kids heads are at um not in a calculated way just in a way that like uh you know what it's almost like playing the kind of it's it's almost like people would expect GBK to play that kind of riff a lot, and they'd be incorrect. But he's just <laughs> thrown one on, you know, thrown th- thrown some on, and it, it it definitely makes sense in the context. Yeah, and it happens to, and I, I think the thing that's so important about it is, yeah, he can 
take one of these sort of outside styles of riffs, contort it just slightly, and it slots in perfectly to the narrative of the song. Um, it's it, it's not a matter of a, a throwaway sound of just something he liked. He realized there was a purpose to it, and he used it, and he used it better than almost anyone. being silly to bring you Oimai Algeu by Algeon reissued by a uh, imprint or sub-label of Regain I think it's Shadow Records mm-hmm. yeah. they don't list it as an imprint so maybe it's technically run by a different dude but all the distribution and stuff is by Regain yeah. anyway for those of you who do not recognize the name 
I have finally broken the no reissues rule. Oh God. Yep. It's um you know, it's 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 how we stay so hip and with it by not reviewing reissues, but um rules are made to be broken and uh almost two years in it was time. And in part it was just like what could you what could I choose that could go head to head with GBK without being the afterthought, right? <laughs> Um, and the other part is just like, what do I want to listen to now that I want to talk about on the show? Um, but yeah, so this is a, um, this is a record that came out in 1995 in Sweden. Um, and it is linked, it is, you know, part of one of my favorite scenes, the Swedish Black Death scene in the mid and late nineties. Um, and it was, uh it was very ahead of its time in a way that really makes sense it's being reissued now. Um, it, uh, I don't think, I think this band existed at completely stable sort of capital until now, right? For, I knew about this record in like, because I was a sort of obsessive about this scene, I think I found out about this band in 2009 or 10 or 11 or something. And I like listened to some of this record. I, I don't know if I listened to the whole thing and I was like, Oh, that's cool. Um, you know, Oh, interesting, unique. Um, but you know, I didn't, uh, it wasn't something I, uh, kept listening to. Right. It was, it was just an interesting thing from, from the time. Um, and they, Aljan has always been just like a thing that if somebody is really interested in like Sacramentum or whatever, you can point them to, right? Um, now that this is being reissued, uh, I hope this band gets more attention. And, uh, you know, as, as you yourself noticed that this seems strange, strangely like their time has finally come, back, come about, right? Listeners, uh, patrons, all people of the term as co-prosperity sphere, I'm going to need you guys to give me some proof that this was released in 1995. And I don't mean like a Metal Archives listing or something. I need like a Polaroid photograph of one of you holding this CD up, dated in 1995. I need a, uh, a 1995 era newspaper in the photo as well. Because it is extremely hard to believe that this was released back then. Uh, according to the notes, uh, this was recorded in late 94. Which means... Listening to this record, I, like I'm convinced the black metal guy is performing some sort of psyop on me right now. <laughs> this, this being from late '94, rearranges shit for me completely psychologically in my understanding of this style. This sounds like it could have been like a cool thing that came out right now on a label that's like a little bit bigger than an Instagram label. You know, mm -hmm. this, like, I don't know how to articulate to people how contemporary this sounds. This is, well, what about it makes it sound contemporary? Let's start there. <clears throat> so, so the way I describe this, like in the notes and in general is, okay, so you've got this, um, sort of, uh, individual riffs are a sort of maximalist, melodic Swedish black death thing. Um, very contiguous mm -hmm. with, like, uh, you know, uh, Sacramentum, uh, Vinterland, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 
However, structurally, this is super rigorous, minimal music. You've got a, a very clearly fake, um, ultra-minimal drum machine just kind of ticking away in the background. Most of yeah, the songs, calling it fake isn't even right because it's just it's it's like it's overtly, basically a metronome, yeah. overtly mechanical drum machine. It's like almost industrial. industrial. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's really only like three or four riffs per song, and every song basically sounds the same, which is fine. I mean, but this is so, such a like a, a rigorously contiguous homogenous thing and that juxtaposition of like the really kind of high-minded individual riffs and the the fact that there's only like 15 of them on the entire record <laughs> like it, that seems like something that would happen now you throw a distortion patch on the master channel of this during production this is like the best of instagram black metal right now yeah, so, well, the Instagram stuff doesn't sound very Swedish. It's all, you know, sounds French or whatever. But I, I know what you mean. This sounds like a contemporary underground release. Um, so, yeah. The idios, I mean, the idiosyncrasy, especially, like, the drum machine is something I keep going back to. Mm -hmm. This was not a period outside of, like, drug addicts like Mysticum where people wanted their drum machine to be obvious. Here, it's very clearly the point. Like, they do not want this to sound like a real drummer. Are there even crash cymbals in the drum programming? Like, they, like the drum programming is so unnatural uh, compared to attempting to mimic a human drummer. This is almost like industrial black metal. Y yeah, I think it is a kind of industrial black metal. So, l let's get into that. So, um... Well, I'll, I'll start with that real quick. Mm -hmm. um, or, no, I'll start with this, right? Like, this might seem like very naive music, right? I mean, to a degree. Yeah. Just because it's just, like, massive, you know, made by young dudes in the very beginning of this sound, right? Uh, with uh, just massive riffs but very simple structures, right? Mm -hmm. And the riffs have this kind of... In, in a way, you could hear this as related to something. Like the classic example of naive music in this genre. Not not as a negative, just in the sense that it's experiencing these ideas for the first time and being exhilarated by them, right? Is Vinterland, right? Uh -huh. Like 16, those guys were like 16 or 17, and they record this album that's just full of the most florid, sentimental... Uh, um, black death riffing and it's uh, it succeeds beyond wildest expectations by sheer passion right mm -hmm. um, and this record has some of that immediacy to it it's just like wow this is the coolest way of playing riffs ever we are just going to play these riffs right <laughs> but um, in other ways it's really sophisticated music um, in a way that like it, it has a there's a clarity of intention to this that makes it different from that. And I think that's one thing that makes it sound so contemporary. It sounds as if people have had 30 years to reflect on how to put these pieces together. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, it's very idea-driven. Um, and that basic, not in a heady way at all, this is retarded music, but it is very, <laughs> there is a very thoroughly... Uh, they have a there's a, a concept really cool really cool structure for creating this very visceral retarded music it's it's very stupid smart um 
And uh, one thing they're doing is sort of transposing form across genre, right? So uh, what the structure of this record comes from Rotting Christ. Um, constant daka-daka blast beats with just sort of um, trem, trem, kind of slower trem riffing that's synced deliberately to every hit, every snare hit. Um, but the crazy thing about it is that when these guys recorded this in November, December of 94, there was only one Rotting Christ net record, or the uh, Non-Serium, right, the first sort of mature sound in Rotting Christ record, had been out for a month. Um, yeah. So that means that they were listening entirely to Thy Mighty Contract and Passage to Arcturo. And Thy Mighty Contract is a good, great example of Rotting Christ being kind of a drone band and really focusing on these just hypnotic blasting riffs. And the whole thing is, how do we have this super brutal minimal drumming with these kind of um, manly, epic, Dorian-scale corded riffs over it? Um, and it was a lot more primitive-sounding than even the stuff in Sweden at that time. Right? Riding Christ was like barbarian music. Um, and these guys were clearly tapped into that and to that kind of minimalism and primitivism. Uh, um, and, and yet, then, they, they take that format and they apply, they say, okay, well, we could do that, but with specifically Swedish riffs, right? With these riffs they were getting from bands like Dark Tranquility or Dawn or a few others, which I can spurk out about later, right? Um, uh, and, and that's really smart. Right? We can take this Rotting Christ format and do it with a very different kind of riff. Um, and then the drumming, right? They're like, oh, what's unique about that Rotting Christ drumming? Well, it's like really, really minimal and hypnotic, right? So like, what if we just used a drum machine? We could do that with a drum machine. And it gets this sort of cold mechanized thing. Rotting Christ is constantly like, I think, snare kick, you know, just like taka 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 taka. These guys are constantly kick snare. It's like really fast, sped up thrash beat, kind of like early Cradle of Filth or Hecate. Hecate and Throne. But um, uh, and the cool thing about the drums is, I think you nailed it with um, uh, Mysticum is that they're not pretending. It's not pretending not to be a drum machine, uh -huh. right? Um. Uh, and the so that is a whole other layer of the concept, right? So it becomes industrial. Um, and in terms of the wing of the scene they hung out with, that actually makes a lot of sense. Again, in some sense, right, because this this record has riffs that some riffs that sound kind of mellow death and immediately gratifying in a way that's very popular now, you might think, oh, naive band, teenage big riffs band. Uh, and you might think, oh, this, maybe they hung out with Vinterland or something. No, these guys hung out with the avant-garde extreme of the Swedish scene, Soren, right? Who were playing some of the most severe and devastating variant on this style. And, um, and also with Puissance, which is a martial industrial act affiliated with Soren. Um, and so the vocalist of Algaion, uh, Martin Bjorkman, he played with the guy from Puissance and Octonomos, another black metal band that I really should listen to. I haven't checked out. And um, he went on to form Arditi, which is one of the biggest names in martial industrial now. So these guys were already interested in a kind of cold, abstract, geometrical industrial aesthetic. 
and they were superimposing these super lyrical, elegant neoclassical riffs on that. Um, and it's really fucking cool. Do you want to play your sample? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, okay, so opening track, big fucking instrumental kind of synth orchestral piece wouldn't be out of place on like a Graveland record. Mm-hmm. Um, then, Natrice's Educati. This happens. kind of was already fully formed by then. That's a weird chronology thing, is that a lot of the Swedish Black Death stuff is not... Although, wait, sorry, we just kept rolling it. (laughs) Anyway, okay, so we were talking that whole time that that was playing. Um, Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, there's all these ideas, and all of them are kind of valid, but then you look at the actual chronology, and it's like, dude, there were only demos from, like, all these other bands that we're talking about. And sure, they might have been listening to the demos, but getting to this from those demos requires so many fucking layers of, you know, construction and then deconstruction of a sound that barely even existed yet, you know? Like, like how you get here in 1994 is blowing my fucking mind. Cause, yeah. Because no, this sounds like a deliberate... Uh, like a deliberate reduction and stripping down of a style that basically didn't exist yet. Yeah, so the way it's reduced, right, on this particular song especially, right, 
you know, just that kind of like, dun, 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 right? That kind of just like, let's do the really obvious thing really hard, right? That mm-hmm. really, the first things you really get like that are the gallery, which came out in the same year, right? The gallery by Dark Tranquility. On, and actually, that's more sophisticated, but... Um, oh, yeah, came way out right about, yeah. Yeah, came out later in the same year, um, and, uh, you know, in flames, and uh, the Jester race wouldn't come out for over another year, right? Yeah. So, in terms of stripping that stuff down, these guys are definitely pioneers. Um, uh, you know, other stuff. A weird thing about the Swedish sound, and a thing I've realized more after doing more digging, is that... You might think of, like, one, the way I had pictured it to myself when I was younger was that, you know, there were death metal bands who started getting more interested in melody because of what they heard in, like, Mayhem and, and Dark Throne. Uh-huh. Um, I think, if anything, the influence was probably moving in the other direction because the Somber Lane came out in 93, and it's yeah, not, that's like the only thing that I well, could think of. It's not all those riffs, but it has those riffs in it. And um, the demo, Into Infinite Obscurity in 91, I think, already has those riffs on it. Um, that's because they're listening to Morbid Angel and shit. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, Dark Tranquility, Sky Dancer is 93. That's been out for quite a while by the time. That's August 93. They've And there were demos before that where the riffing style was fully established, right? Moonclad Reflection and Tranquility. And... Uh, yeah, Moon, Moonclad Reflection, rather, was the, the EP. Yeah, has has riffs in that style already in 92. So it's happening way earlier than you'd think. Um, and it's coming out of death metal and sort of thrash and heavy metal. The other thing is Eucharist, who've been forgotten about. Um, you know, um, and uh, I gotta say, I don't think I'd be aware of this band if that guy Grizzly Butts hadn't mentioned them once. So, you know, yeah. credit where credit is due. Well, no, but, I know um, Eucharist. I guess the, the thing that... I... Eucharist, Velvet Creation, 93. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dawn, um, Nerisolan, is early 94. Very, January 94. So these guys are in the same country as all these other bands and in at least parallel social circles... And so they do have this wealth of things in these riffing styles to draw from, but I think part of their original contribution is this really disciplined simplification. Yeah. I mean, I also had just, like, a crazy idea of, like, I can imagine a... um, Something that would line up chronologically. I can imagine a crazy way of getting here from taking just kind of the saddest, most elegant parts of Burzum like single string trem riffs combining that with sort of proto gothenburg shit yeah uh because i mean because early birds missing you know 90 91 92 um it's just but but like the whole delivery of the whole thing is truly i mean this must have been fucking bizarre at the time I, th- I think it was. That's one reason I, it was never big. I mean, they did one one more in 97 called General Enmity, and then, you know, sort of disappeared for a while, did a thing that sounded more like Melodeth in 2010, and then, no. It, 
I mean, you know, I think you're all right on it with Burzum. Like, these guys are clearly interested in the hypnotic repetition in black metal, right? Mm-hmm. They also really are getting it from Rotting Christ. Yeah. Like, if anything, the press release, if anything, overemphasizes that because it's what distinguishes them from their contemporaries. But they were really listening to primitive Hellenic and Norse stuff. And, you know, that puts them with the other of my favorite, you know, Soren from Sweden was clearly yeah. listening to, like, early, like, uh, Transylvanian hunger. Yeah. Well, I mean, shit. this this also sounds uh, like this sounds like proto Amonim Earth in a lot of places too. Yeah, and you yourself have pointed out how black metal Amonim Earth sounds at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, it's like so. Th- wait, let's check one cent from the Golden Hall. No, that's way that, later. That's, that's like, way later. That's like ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah. Goddamn. Sacramentum is not even is Finis Malorum comes out. Uh, the EP comes out in this same year. It's oh yeah, dude! When it came dude, out, dude. After I listened to this, I was like, I was checking through everything to try and figure out the timeline on this shit. Yeah, yeah. It's like so everything we're thinking of came after it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, so basically, this band is a kind of, um, you know, they get. I I think in the past, right? They're sort of remembered as an also ran as of this kind of marginal, interesting margin, interesting foot. Also ran isn't fair. That usually implies not being great, right? Uh, marginal footnote, right? It turns out they're just a uh, and, quarter century ahead of their time. And they were right in the midst of all of this as it was happening. Yeah. Like, right yeah. there for it. Um, I mean, and, you know, this came out before Soren, and it came out before Dawn's most black metal stuff. It came out before Slaughter Sun, too. Yeah. Um, so, it's... Well, let me... In- yeah. <laughs> let, let me play another sample. It's a, it's like I, I we, we can do the history lesson forever. Um and we should. We should just do like a three hour prime episode. That's just trying why we to have a podcast. Figure the album out. Um yeah. That's that's why. So we can so we can do the same No bro, but it was ninety three. It couldn't be, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> um uh on the reach of Zafania. So so this record does get more complex as it goes, but it's still, like, relentlessly primitive structurally. These songs are so fucking blocky and so stripped down and so angular in the way the pieces join together. This sounds like a... It's like I keep saying, this sounds like a concerted exercise by people who already know all the complicated parts of the style and are deliberately reducing it. Which, I guess, is a thing that could be happening here, but that means they're deconstructing a style before it even fully exists. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. so let's listen to this one. And uh, also, for some reason, it sounds like Isatai.
that particular chord per- Okay, we argued through all that too. Um, yeah, so that, that per- at the you were end. You something about that chord progression. That chord progression at the end. Well, one that really sounds like Isatai, and two, like I cannot think of a precedent for that. Like no. if you if, if you can think of one from like the Swedish scene, but, but it's like that sounds like that's a totally fucking like 2010s thing right there. Yeah, or like 2020s, like that particular like sort of um. It, that's it's very no i agree there are a lot of harmonic ideas in here that there aren't necessarily a precedent for some of the stuff at the beginning first half of the album some of the stuff has a lot more uh it has the shapes of things that would become maladeth riffs but much more disharmonic sort of intervals in it Mm -hmm. between the two guitars um, this, that particular thing at the end, kind of yeah. like reverent, uh, yeah, th- that cool thing that I don't really have words for is is something that, yeah, you heard uh, Isatai do, uh, Meslam Taya does it, um, uh, and it's like, a what it is, it's, it's something like a really intense, it's like a really euphony, euphony, it's like a really sweet sounding resolution, but played with extremely high tension in each chord. Yeah, Something yeah like that. it's it's, um, a, it's like it's almost like one of those like Japanese black metal riffs. Yes. You know? Oh, for sure. No, Hakuja would do that in the 2010s or earlier than that. Um, it is super Japanese. Um, but yeah, it was here first. Th- this, um, is, I mean, I, I, I really, it's it's hard for. There has to be ideas on this that were just unprecedented. You know, and like maybe in parallel, some other people figured them out. But it's like there's certain shit on this record. I mean, I basically buy into the idea that you can get here from some of the primordial Swedish ideas. But dude, there's got to be shit that had never been done before right here. Uh, well, so, I mean, I kind of the thing I was trying to stress was that the whole format of the band had never been done before. Yeah, like the originality is at the roots of it in the concept. It's just like. You know, you you do this reductive, hypnotic... The whole idea of taking this reductive approach to stuff that up until then had been extremely death metal in terms of its technique. And, you know... And just putting that as the matter. You take that stuff as the matter and you put it... Or the content and you put it in forms coming from really primitive black metal and industrial. Yeah, I was was about to say that's... That's super original. That's exactly the thing. It's like we're associating it with this whole kind of Swedish melodic black death idea and then you're taking the melodic results of the combination of those styles and then you're stripping it back down into just like black metal 2.0. You know, it's, it's... which is such a radical idea well, for Well, a thing I'm kind of trying to say is that the Swedish Black Death, I think, actually isn't really... I mean, as the black metal guy, this is a little... It was a little uncomfortable for me to come to terms with this, but I don't think it's that influenced by black metal. <laughs> like, Swedish Black Death is like... Um, I think it basically develops... They're clearly paying attention to what's happening in Norway, mm-hmm. but and they're clearly influenced by shit from the '80s that like trendy death metal bands were not, right? Yeah, yeah. and and by Morbid Angel and shit. But um, they have the same. But like musically, it really is coming from death metal, thrash, and heavy metal before mm-hmm. any of the sort of you know Euronymous courting starts coming in. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like those riffs are on the somber lane before he starts to sound like Euronymous. 
right? Mm, um, yeah. It's it's crazy. It's what it is is like we need a different word for it. It's a specific Swedish style of extreme metal. Yeah. Um, yeah and I agree. these guys these guys are doing it um, and linking it to Norwegian minimalism and Greek minimalism in a way that hadn't been done. So in the big picture, which is the most important picture, this is super original music. But I agree with you that like in the detail work, it has to be also like that kind of like that whole mood in those chords is very original at this time. A lot of this music has this kind of solemn, elegiac, end of the anime where the world's exploding feel. Yeah, yeah. That is quite different from, even from melancholy stuff at this time. It's not the same kind of melancholy you get on Sacramentum or on, you know, uh, Dissection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah it's, it, it's very, yeah, it's like... Let's say, okay, Sweden, 94. Were they able to get a bootleg copy of Ninja Scroll from Japan or something? You know, it's like, are they early weebs, possibly? You know? One of the, the, the main, the guitarist, uh, Matias Kamejo, looks kind of Japanese, but he might just be Finnish. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, know, yeah, 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 he might just have Sami blood. Um, there, there is the, the Finnish-Japanese... Um, there is the theory that Finnish and Japanese are part of the same language group, which oh. would explain a lot. I've never heard of that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It it think it it makes a lot of sense when you start thinking about it, right? But um, uh, but yeah. So um, so yeah. So one thing about this track that you just played, Zephon on the Reach of Zephonia is one of the strongest. I think the last three tracks are the best on the records. Record. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of. Would you agree? Yeah, the the whole thing just keeps raising the stakes throughout the whole album. Yeah. The first three tracks are kind of like melodethy type riffs with kind of harsher intervals in a lot of places. Uh-huh. And then these last three hit this mood of kind of like, they're these slow, stretched out, many noted processional melodies that have this mournful, sort of like sweetly mournful vibe. Um, and uh, On the Reach of Zephonia is the first of them. And one thing you realize here is that like, their strongest when they do this really elaborate stuff and stuff that you know if a band didn't pull it off i might say oh that's sentimental oh that's lame or whatever this band nails it in part because the delivery of it is hard as nails uh-huh. right but um so the next one uh kratos <laughs> is um uh one of the more one of the more rotting christy ones for sure and it's, it's also where, you know, embracing that kind of Swedish excess, that kind of, um, kind of, like, when they get the most over the top and sentimental is also when the music is the most ripping and aggressive. Uh, that's like when, when they find their, when they really get their hooks in it. So um, right now we're going to be starting at the very, there's going to be some A, A, B riff trading. We're starting at the very end of an A riff and... Uh, going into the B, back to the A, and then beyond.
See, there we get the, the like, really elaborate, like, basically Gothenburg shit. Yeah, right at the very end where it mm-hmm. fades out. Mm-hmm. Um, but right before that, right? That is a mature Rotting Christ riff. Mm-hmm. There must have been a few like that on Thy Mighty Contract, but, like, that's the kind of stuff they would be doing on non which came out a month before this was fucking recorded. Yeah, it's... Dude, what the and fuck, man? Like, they had so internalized the logic of how Rotting Christ played guitar that they could just do the same shit at the same time. Like, it... So, yeah, that kind of, like, awesome heavy metal strut riff is super Rotting Christ. But before that, right, you get these long, slow, cascading, you know lyrical things, right? Riffs that just sing. Uh, and you get this sort of... Oh, wait, sorry. That's that's the wrong one. They're, they're just all so good and long, right? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> When they start going so over the top on these last songs, he starts bringing in things on the guitar that give it a lot more life. Like those grace notes, that 5-1 thing. We do, we do, we do, do. Yeah, and what's... You get, like, real real neoclassical technique. Yeah, there's, there's like, crazy theatrical shit happening on guitar, but within these, just these fucking, like, relentlessly blocky four of this, eight of that structural mm-hmm, context, mm-hmm. which is like, you know me, that's a thing that I've always loved. Yeah, um, sure. I mean, everyone, I, yeah, me too. I love a song that can just work based on that. Yeah, it's, it, dude, what the, what the fuck is going on here? And like, these, all these three last songs, you know, you were talking on the GBK review about riffs that just end. Yeah. Right? These last three songs are all endless fucking riffs. Yeah. There are chord similarities between the two main riffs on each of them. Like, the riffs kind of, like, spill into one another. And I could listen to these last three tracks just on repeat. You know? (laughs) Just indefinitely. Um, uh, so, yeah. At, um... You know, for for the last, you'll hear the same thing on my last sample, which is uh, from the last delusion, the final track. This does have some 1995 uh, female vocals in the middle, but they're yes. done <laughs> very very well. Um, and uh, aside from that, haha, end of anime riffs go boom.
We could go out on some note about how we have to rethink everything now, but I'll just... You want to get high and play Chrono Trigger? Uh, I was more of a Chrono Cross guy, but yeah. 